Hi, everyone. This is Kyle from The Career Guide. And before we start our podcast today, I just wanted to say thanks for listening and subscribing. And I also wanted to make sure that you knew that we have a free community for graduates, young professionals, or really anyone that's interested in finding, starting, and managing their international career. So go ahead and check the link in the show notes, and you can join us inside the community where there's 130-plus members already striving to achieve their international career. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you inside the community. And now on to our podcast. If I must be honest, I think this is the best thing that you can get out of an international career. You get to experience like what it means to be from one place to another place in all aspects of life, from like these cultural aspects of behavior, right? Like the food that you're experiencing, the like different cultural context that you can never even imagine of everyday life. Like from going to, I don't know, baby showers to funerals, you know, it's absolutely different how every culture experiences all those things. And you get the opportunity opportunity to live so many lives in one lifetime. So I think that's, for me, the best aspect of, of having this, this international life. Hey, everybody. This is the Career Guide Podcast, brought to you by Capacity Building International and your host, Kyle King. If you've dreamed of working abroad and having an international career, this podcast is for you. Every episode is an interview with someone from the international community. We hear their stories, how they got started, and about their life and experiences while working abroad. Each episode will provide you with personal insights, tips, and strategies to help you launch your international career. We hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and sign up for our career newsletter so you don't miss out on your future and opportunities. So hi, everybody. Welcome back uh, to the Career Guide podcast. And today we are joined by Marina Barrerio Marino. I hope I got that right. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Okay, great. You'll have to, you'll have to tell me the right way. Um, who holds currently a, a Master's of Political Sciences by the University of Santiago de Compostela and an MA in International Relations and Diplomacy by the Diplomatic School of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Kingdom of Spain. After years of studying abroad, mainly in France and Ireland, in 2010, she moved to Sarajevo to work as a political officer at the Embassy of Spain to Bosnia and Herzegovina. From 2011, she worked as a program manager at Sarajevo Open Center, focusing mainly on advancing LGBTI human rights and women's rights, and in 2014, joined the Organization for Security Cooperation for Europe, where she was the head of Human Rights Section, coordinating the work of international organizations on those areas throughout BIH. And she has also worked for several international organizations, such as UN Women, UN Women, UNDP, or the OSCE High Commissioner on National Minorities, on projects to advance human rights and gender mainstreaming programs. Nowadays, she is working with UNCHR in their Mexico operation. She is the author of several reports on human rights with a special focus on LGBTI women's rights, migrants' rights, fundamental freedoms, especially freedom of assembly and media and anti-discrimination. Marina, thank you so much for joining us today. I really have enjoyed reading through your bio and your information, and I'm really interested in hearing about your story and your journey 
as you've gone throughout your international career. Is there anything we should add to this introduction? Or maybe you could correct me on pronouncing your name. <laughs> no, hi, Kel. I think you cover all of it. And yeah, I mean, living internationally, that's the first rule. Like whatever name they call you by, that's fine. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. all right. Yeah, my name is Marina, and it's because I am from the border in between Spain and Portugal. So my name is Portuguese. But yeah, uh, perfectly fine going by Marina, Maria, or whatever. <laughs> the same time. Okay. Great. So where are you currently at right now? Because I know we're worlds apart at the moment. Definitely. It's actually nine in the morning in here in Tijuana, uh, Baja California. I'm in the border with the United States here in San Diego, working with UNHCR on the emergency situation that is in, in this specific border uh, at the time. So, yeah, um, I have been here for the last few months. Okay. Wow. So it's it's 7 p.m. where I'm at. So we're definitely, wow. you know, <laughs> multiple time zones apart. Definitely. So one of the things that um, we wanted to sort of talk about was, you know, your journey towards an international career and especially working with these international organizations. So how did you sort of get started with an international career? I think I was interested of working in this kind of line of work for a long time. Firstly, I thought that the diplomatic corps of Spain would be actually a, a good fit. And that's why I got engaged into this program in the diplomatic school in, in Madrid. And it was from there that everything just like kind of jump started. So I went with the same program to work at the embassy of Spain in Sarajevo. And it was a short program. It was just one year as a political officer in there, very junior. But it was a very small embassy, which I think it was the, the key, because when, when there are not many diplomats, then you have to do absolutely everything and you are at the, at the forefront. So I think that that was a great experience. Though I thought it was too short for me to understand all the complexity of the Balkans, especially of Bosnia-Herzegovina. So I decided to find a way to stay. And that's why I moved boats and changed for an uh, organization of civil society that I have open center. And then one thing moved to the other. Then you meet a lot of people. You start getting to know like people working for a different inter international organization. They spot you, you. You put yourself out there. And this is how I started with my first IO that was the OSC mission to, to Bosnia-Herzegovina. Oh, very interesting. And so you actually started with your own Ministry of Foreign Affairs, is that right? Yes, yes. So sort of through, through your own government entity, and then you went abroad, and then you changed from there because you yeah. wanted to stay longer? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I ended up staying quite long. I stayed in Bosnia for 10 years, a little bit over. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it was for 10 months, but it ended up being 10 years. Uh, but I don't regret one single minute of, of all of that. So yeah, I think it, it was the, the right move to, to do that, to stay even after those, this program was over. Did you know that, though, when you got started? Did you know that, I mean, because sometimes, at least I know when I started my career, I often tell people it was sort of just by accident. You know, I, I got a phone call and somebody was like, hey, well, there's this project, do you want to go? And I was like, okay. I was just young and dumb enough at the time. that I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And then I went overseas and it's been like almost 30 years now. So it's, <laughs> it, just, you know, it goes... It goes very quickly, but I just, I'm curious, was, did you have a similar experience? Like you didn't plan on sort of falling into this. No, time, right? I didn't plan off staying for so long in one place. I, I kind of had this idea of me being a nomad and going and experiencing this like international career here and there, but then you fall in love with a place and you decide that this is also okay. And you become kind of an expert. And I think that ne doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay there for the rest of your career. I made a change now to Latin America and, and it's absolutely fine and change boats into different international organizations 
that's also give you different perspective into similar topics, right? Like I have always worked in human rights and gender equality from different perspectives and from different organizations. But I think, you know, like this theme has has been like the constant in my in my career so far. Mm -hmm. and, and how important was that for you? I mean, because a lot of people I talk to when they first are starting their careers is a bit of a struggle. Right. And I think we all had this like where I am today was absolutely not where I started. But as you've mentioned, you sort of had this common theme throughout all of your sort of positions that you've had. Was that easily identifiable for you when you first started? Was that something you had passionately know about? This was your niche. This was your field. Or was it something you had to explore and sort of figure out as you went along? I think I figured it out as well as I went. I mean, I always were, pa were passionate about human rights, definitely, and gender equality, but never thought actually of making them my career per se. You know, I thought I would be more dealing with political affairs, for example, or like even military affairs and, and this kind of thing I was looking into, you know, in post-conflict situations and stuff like that. But uh, I think like once you start in one place and you get to to know so many people and all those contexts get you somewhere new. So I think like the first thing that I never thought that this is going to pan out the way it did, it was just because of that, because then the network that you create abroad with people that we are pretty much in the same situation, you always get to the next step without even thinking, you know, so, so long ahead. So I, even I remember at the beginning, like I was super afraid I will never get a job and like, it's going to be impossible and like how to get there and like starting can be complicated, you know, it can be challenging. But once you start it, like it just, and I don't know, it, it just develops in, in a natural way, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's sort of the, the, the sticking point for most people, right, is, yeah. is how to actually get started. How did you overcome that sort of uh, apprehension that you had in terms of, you know, I'm never going to find this position or it, because it's a point of frustration, to be honest. I mean, even yes. even today, I think even for us, as we work internationally for so long, that next step is always sort of out there that we have to think about. How did you overcome that? And you have to constantly update yourself and like try to, you know, like keep open many doors at the same time. And these things that you learn as you go by. But like this first challenge, I, I think it's like what we now we have a name for it, right? Like the imposter syndrome and like how difficult it is to overcome mm. that syndrome and yourself. And if you are a woman, I think it's even more complicated. So because a lot, a lot of gender norms of people expecting you to, I don't know, a certain age to be married and to have a family or whatever. And it's more complicated, let's not deny it, with an international career. Mm. But I think like the the key to overcome it is just to look around and to see that there are Many people, they're maybe not even as prepared as you are for the same job and they are doing it. So if they are, so you, can you. So just go ahead and, and present the best version of yourself. I think it's also very cultural. Like my uh, friends from different culture have like different kind of levels of this imposter syndrome, right? Like, and speaking about yourself, for example, in the European context, mm. it's like not very well perceived. So we need to learn more like what do we call like the, the American way of like speaking in public. Uh, you're a great public speaker. So all my American fellows like, and I think we are laying a little bit behind on that, but it's something that also you learn on the job. And I think it's great because you, you get to know all these different cultures and, and you make the most of all of them. 
Yeah. And, and speaking about yourself is really something that, you know, especially in terms of competency-based interviews and the boards that we yes. have is, is incredibly important. Um, and it's so and it awkward for the Europeans. It's so awkward. <laughs> These competency-based interviews, I think, you know, like for people that are used to speak about themselves and they're speaking public, it's great. But for us, it's like... It's, it's just not natural. You learn how to do it and it's fine. You know, it's just a model and then you repeat it and it's okay, but it's just not so natural. Yeah. You, you really have to sort of practice it. You have to retrain your mind to think Definitely. and to speak in those terms because, yeah. you know, when you're saying, well, I did this and I did that and you're like, well, that just yeah. sounds weird, you know, but it, it is, yeah, absolutely it, it's a, it's a legitimate thing. You have to speak that way during the interviews yeah. um, because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what people who sit on the boards want to see. Yeah. And, and I think, but in, in terms of, you know, you mentioned the cultural aspects. I mean, how, and you're the first person I've sort of asked this question, but how valuable has that been to your sort of personal development, this cross-cultural experience and exposure? If I must be honest, I think this is the best thing that you can get out of an international career. You get to experience like what it means to be from one place to another place in all aspects of life, from like these cultural aspects of behavior, right? Like to like the food that you're experiencing, the like different cultural context that you can never even imagine of everyday life. Like from going to, I don't know, baby showers to funerals, you know, it's absolutely different how every culture experiences all those things. And you get the opportunity to live so many lives in one lifetime. So I think that's for me, the best aspect of, of having this, this international life. Mm -hmm. Do you find it that sort of changed your perspective on many things? Oh, it definitely does. And then on yourself as well. Then you have, I think you also have the risk of like losing yourself a little bit. You know, I think it's important for everyone to go back home from time to time to realize what actually is like your background, your cultural, in your own cultural understanding, right? Like, because especially if you spend many time, like a long time in a similar place with local friends, then you, you know, like the limits and the edges of who are you and who are they become a little bit blurry. So yeah, sometimes I believe that I behave way more like Balkan because I have been living in the Balkans than, in, you know, in Spain. And yeah, I come back home and my friends look at me like, why are you, you know, behaving this way? I don't know, driving or whatever, you know, in different ways. So I think it's important to keep the balance to try to remember like who you are from mm. your background understanding and who are you becoming uh, with all this experience that you are adding to your backpack, right? Is that noticeable for you? Oh, definitely. Super noticeable. <laughs> I, I can. Like, because yeah. when I go back to the States, then I, I feel like I'm entering a foreign country, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the biggest thing that makes me really quite legitimately crazy is I understand what everybody is saying, you know? And so I'm so conditioned and used to living in a bubble, so to speak, you know, yeah. of the, the countries and the languages that are around me yeah. and that I, it just floods me and it's, and it's overwhelming. It, to be, and I never thought it would be like that, but it's absolutely overwhelming and it's shocking, you know? Yeah. My husband says to say, my, I'm married to a British citizen that doesn't speak any other language but English. So for him, when he goes back home, he's like, oh my God, I understand the conversations around me in the tube. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that's what it means, you know, to be immersed in a place. But yeah. yeah. So I, I, 
for me, it's weird because I I'm from my region. They speak uh, Galician, right? Like uh, my parents speak Galician and everything. There's not a language that I speak in my everyday life because you know, like there's nobody to speak to. So when I come back home, I realize that I'm telling stories, right? Like things that happen, whatever it was in Bosnia and Mexico, whatever, and I'm translating because this is a story I have already told in a different language, in English or Bosnian or whatever it was. And then when I go back home, I'm translating my own words into my language but just sounds completely unnatural so it takes me a couple of days to speak actually my own mother tongue in the normal way you know like and stop translating everything into my own mother's tongue yeah yeah, yeah that, that I think that it has a huge impact on us that we don't actually realize until we yeah, get yeah. somewhere else and then yeah, we start definitely. to see Definitely. And I think on the other side of that too, and it's not necessarily related to careers, but I think it's the effect of international careers is I didn't realize that myself yeah. until I had come, I had finished one mission around 2017 and I spent a good, you know, couple of years at home. And really you start to to decompress and, and get back into a normal place to when then you can start working internationally again. But you have yeah. to create those spaces, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's important to remember like, because this international career one job takes you to the other and because you are constantly thinking ahead of where you're going to go next and what is your next role going to be and like you have to figure out everything what that means because might mean i don't know moving your whole life to another continent and like it, it takes a long time and you forget that you need also some time to decompress like because people that work in their own hometowns for their whole lives they have their holidays they go abroad on our mm. holidays we normally go home and we are super busy because you need to instead of disconnect actually you have to go and reconnect so it's, it's work as well in a way you know like it's, it's not a relaxing experience you have to go see at least in the case of spain with our super extended families you have to visit all your aunties and all your cousins and all your friends and so it takes a long all your holidays time so if you don't take some time and this is something i learned with years in between roles it's it can be too much you know you arrive already mm -hmm. to the next job quite tired mentally and i think it's important to to get this like space to okay this is what i have been doing it was a great experience let's close this space and let's open the new one but let, with a little break in in between mm -hmm. and the covid years uh it have made possible for many people like to go back home like for example we decided to go for a whole year uh back to to my hometown and then stay there which has been a great experience i mean i haven't lived in my hometown since i was 18 and suddenly now coming as an adult with your family it has been incredible and and, and you experience it in a different way but i think uh, as i said before like it's very important for you to touch base you know touch there that you have been growing to understand who you are in your background and then move on into your next thing mm -hmm. yeah interesting how do you create that space I mean, how do you build in these breaks inside your career? It's difficult because normally, you know, it's like the, the time is always like, well, you need to come back and start working in a month. I think it's always negotiable. I think you can always talk to people and say like, okay, instead of four weeks, it's going to be six weeks or seven weeks because I need two weeks to, you know, get my business together, like get whatever you need, like time to rest, whatever. But I think it's negotiable. And it's something that at the beginning I I didn't do because I, I always thought like, you know, how privileged I was to get the job and it's true. But I think they would understand and they would prefer to have a worker, a colleague or a supervisor that is, you know, like 
mentally healthy, rested and ready for the next challenge. So I think you you need to make the, that space for yourself. Even if it's, mm-hmm. you know, like two weeks, it's important and it makes a difference. And, and there's an aspect there that people, what I, I think, at least in my personal opinion, is often overlooked, which is the fact that, you know, it's relocating is not necessarily quick. Right. I mean, when we talk about taking an international assignment and moving overseas or going somewhere and and you're you have an apartment and you have all these things in your own country, like how do you settle all of your affairs? That's something that nobody's ever talking about. Like when you see that the the job portals for the UN and the OSD and all these things, nobody ever talks about how you're supposed to fix your life before you go travel for two years and you leave the country. Like what happens to your mail, your rent, your car, your dog, your cat, your whatever. Like nobody talks about any of that stuff, but you have to literally like change everything and your complete entire life changes when you move overseas. Yeah, definitely. And there are so many administration things to deal with that that, and that is not resting time, you know, like you actually need to deal with that. You have to go to your bank and get settled your mortgage or whatever next phase it's coming. And yeah, the mail, like all those things, you know, like, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I have like everything close to my parents hometown so you know like they deal with most of it but you have to have somebody in there Mm. if not it takes a long long time and it depends on where you're posted and what kind of job you're having there how often you're gonna get you know like holidays to go be able to go back home and fix all of that you know like and and you take risks like uh now i'm supposed to be getting my booster for the covid vaccine today in my hospital hometown they send me a message and it's like i cannot get it so you have to figure it out how you're going to get the same that everybody else is getting so easily without thinking about it but we have to go always an extra mile and trying to find out for yourself what is going to work out. You know, I'm going to get the vaccine in the United States and or I'm going to get the vaccine, I don't know, in Bosnia or whatever I'm traveling next. And you have to figure out like all of those stuff like constantly. And when you have kids, it adds, you know, an extra layer to all of that because it limits the possibilities of you moving. That's also uh, mm-hmm. true. You cannot go in the middle of the school year if they are, you know, like above six years old and you cannot take some jobs because they are non-family positions and maybe you would love that job, but I can't get it. And like, there are so many things. And if your partner, spouse, whatever, it's also working and it's also having an, a career being international or national, but like you need to physically in a place it also adds that to you know the relationship something that people that live in their same place they don't even think about as often you know like um it might mean that you have to take turns in your career right or that you need to be separated for some time which is also like complicated and difficult and it's a mental load and so i think you know there are there are many challenges for for the international life but i think that you get out of it way more than than it gets from you. Mm-hmm. It is taxing, right? I mean, it is taxing over time, but I think only once you sit down and you have to reflect on all of it. Yeah. Um, but there is just, there's a thousand decisions to make in terms of your next career move. Yeah. And, and, and that's something, but I think we condition ourselves to think about that over time, but it, it's again, sort of the transparency in the process is not there when, when people want to start a career and they have to think about what's my next move and what's the move after that. And after that, yeah. Do I want to start in the field in Africa and then work my way back to the UN headquarters in New York or whatever the case is, you know, and there needs to be some sort of consistent, at least mindset or frame of mind or plan. You know, it's difficult to plan, but at least have a strategy. Right. Yeah. 
And, and so what is your sort of like, what if, what have you found or experienced in terms of like the cycle of your job changes as that goes through, because, you know, most of these things are donor funded projects or time-based projects or whatever the case is, what has been your experience in that regard? Look, I think it's important to have a strategy, but most importantly for me is to be flexible, to be able to adjust and like something might come up that you didn't like it wasn't possible for you to to foresee in advance and uh, now you just present yourself and it's like why not you know take the risk and see and see how it works it's a very short cycle so you have to reinvent yourself constantly right like because even in human rights there are many things that come up new and like these days we're speaking more about like fundamental freedoms like freedom of media or hate crime media or these kind of things that maybe like 10 years ago when I started my career wasn't a thing. But, you know, it depends on what you're moving. And in the terms of your own strategy, I think you need to be very clear if you want to have like a field experience kind of life because it's very different than a headquarters kind of life. I mean, headquarters kind of life is almost like as if you live in any western city of your own you know like is if i move in spain from barcelona to madrid okay great but that's basically it it's not a big change it's not a big adjustment and you're going to spend your whole life working in in the headquarters it's difficult to access it is uh, i'm not gonna lie like those jobs are really like goals for many people but i mean it's it's doable i i know many people that are, that have uh, gone to to the headquarters and it depends on which headquarters as well of which un agency or the OSE or whatever organization it is but it's a normal western kind of life but if mm. you think that for you what it works is to work in the field you also need to think about all those things, you know, like suddenly you are not going to be able to go home for a long time because, you know, like this project has started and it's going to finish in two years time and you have to put all the donors money to, to work and you have to get results and you're not going to be able to do it. So it's like kind of doing a tour in the military, you know, you know, you know that you're going to be gone for such a long time and, and can, can you do that? Like it's, it's going to be okay for you. Are you going to be like mentally in the place in the zone to do it or do you need to you know see your family more often or like but if you have a field life you have to see well it's not the same to have you know like the african experience and background that to have a latin american one or to have in you know like eastern european you know asian you have to see also for yourself what fits better and you can jumble it doesn't mean that because you started your career in one continent that means that you're going to be your whole life in there no you have greater chances to stay there that's for sure because you made your network there and everybody knows you and you have a good name and then you create a good impression in so many people that it's going to be easier for you to stay but you can always move you know like it's not a definite I mean it's something that I also learned with time you know nothing is definite in this career you can change your skill and adjust but you need to be able to be as flexible as possible. Mm -hmm. How do you build in that flexibility in terms of your own career and say your career management piece? I mean, because when we say flexibility, okay, there's flexibility like, okay, I'm open to moving quickly. Like there's a flexibility mentally, right? But yeah. a flexibility in your career, because you've also mentioned that you sort of have shifted in topics over 10 years. Yeah. So how do you build in or how, how has your experience been in terms of building in career flexibility and adaptability, yeah. I guess I would say? 
Yeah, it's both things. It's flexibility and adaptability. I mean, you need to keep up what whatever current situation it is, right? Like you cannot stay and like because I was an expert on I don't know social rights or maternity benefits in this specific country, I'm going to be an expert on that for the rest of my life. That's not helpful because this is going to round out of donors' money or whatever it is. So or interest, political interest from the countries you are working. So this is not going to work out at all. So you need to be able to adjust yourself and keep up means you need to study you need to spend time and money uh, into getting like new skills learning new concepts learning new areas of work right and there are some organizations that they really invest on the learning of their of their human staff or of their human resources there are some others that are not so much but there is always a room for that and you can always ask for it as well you know like if I think that it's going to be good for I don't know whatever mission or operation to start working in one specific topic and I say like I want to become an expert I found this you know online course of like I don't know how many hundreds of hours I want to join that are you going to be able to fund it and normally it works out you know like it, it but you have to find it for yourself and keeping up means also a lot of time you spend on that and sometimes this kind of line of work that we are working it's like so quick especially if you're working in emergencies right like you you need to be you know always you feel a bit like a, a firefighter right like it's just whatever they throw at you, you you're trying to to manage so it's very difficult to have time to think and strategize for all of that you know for like trying to get to new areas of work or developing new skills so but i think what it would have worked for me is like set up times for everything. So I can mm-hmm. be a firefighter from nine to two. And this is what I'm going to do. But from two to five, I'm going to be doing with something else. It could be developing new like methods or tools or gathering information. For example, that works a lot in my line of work, right? Or it could be to study, or it could be to draft a report that I really want to put all my attention to. Right. Like, so I have these three hours every day that I know that I'm not going to book any meeting, no appointments. I know I'm going to be looking into my email. So this is the time for me to do X, Y, Z. Because if not in this kind of work, you can be just constantly, you know, like pushing buttons, being, you know, what I say, like a desk monkey, constantly just replying to emails as they come and then you don't have this time to actually look ahead what is better, not just for your career, but also for the organization you are working for, you know, like, and and you need this time, especially at certain level uh, to to really think and and work more deeply. Mm -hmm. And so how important is that process, I think, to your overall career? So how did uh, one of the terms that we use is sort of taking ownership of your career? Because, you know, donor-funded projects, they end, there's contractual limits in many international organizations these days, you know, three years plus three years, then you have to move. Or as you know, OSCE, you know, seven years in one place, 10 years in the entire organization. It's, it's a policy. They openly say we're not a retirement organization. Um, so it's, you know, it, I think it forces us to have to take ownership of our career and really sort of self-direct that. And what have you found that's worked for you in terms of taking ownership of that career and, and what that means for you? Because I, I often feel like for me personally, I have to disconnect like who I am and the work that I do from the position I'm in, right? Yeah. And many times if we are working in our home country, in our own towns or cities or whatever, we're, we're say we connect our identity to the job. 
And I think in terms of international careers, you have to disconnect your identity and your professional career versus the position that you're in because that position could change constantly, if that makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah, yeah so, definitely. I think for me, what it had always worked is like, I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's like make a brand of yourself as well, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, I try to network as much as I can without being horrible at that. But just like, I think it's very important that every connection that you make with any person in your line of work, being in different embassies or being in different organizations or within your own, because these organizations are massive, try to give the best impression that you can, you know, like, and then people are going to remember you. And when you want to make your next move, you always can, you know, like ring some phones and say like, I'm interested in that. What do you think? Or even just for ask for advice. Like, do you think that this makes sense? You know, like in mm-hmm. my career life. And I'll always ask for that advice and don't be shy on, on doing that because I think we need to find mentors everywhere where we go. That's also one of the things that I learned with the time that you really need persons there that have experienced the same that you are doing now, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it is. But if you find these uh, people that you can, they can be role models, you can always ring them and say like, look, this is what I'm thinking what do you think you know trying to have like this this reflection also outside of yourself because with yourself sometimes it's very it's very difficult to have this this conversation right like because we don't want to see it so for example in my career what it has worked like my my branding is like i work on human rights wherever it's needed and by human rights i mean like all causes of injustice of social injustice that's my passion and I'm gonna put like 150 percent of myself into that whatever the name of the organization goes behind right like and I think like many people that I have met in all these years in different international organizations they know me and now it kind of comes naturally like I stopped one year to be a consultant exclusively a consultant I think I applied for one consultancy, everything else. I just put out the word that I was doing consultancies. Mm-hmm. It was people calling me, you know, like, because they knew like if they had something related to human rights or to gender equality, I could be of help and I'm going to be effective and productive and I'm going to deliver like with the highest quality. So they knew that because they have met people before. So I think that's why, I mean, brand make of yourself one good brand, right? Like, don't burn bridges, mm-hmm. even if you would love to at the moment. Like, and, and I'm the one that is very passionate about injustice and if I see many injustice being done, but try not to burn any bridges. Like try to always think that this is a very small world. We all are connected in one way or another. So try to, to just present yourself with the best light. You know, it's not a question of lying. Just like try to, to put yourself out there as much as you can. Mm-hmm. I think that's, it's interesting you say that to when you call somebody and you can ask for advice in terms of, you know, is this the right move for me? And and one of the things that I found, because I've done about 200 sort of interviews with people over the last year, as far as helping like young graduates and young professionals sort of start their career and these sort of free consultations just to provide some advice. And, and one of the things that I found the most interesting was the fact that a lot of them were sort of asking for advice from, you know, say academia. Mm-hmm or their peers, just as broad examples. And, and I always had the comment of like, you know, you have to ask the right people for the right advice. If you yeah. ask for advice from somebody in academia, you've got to always consider the source of the information that you're getting. And so what are they going to say? They're going to say, we'll do a PhD, right? Because that's <laughs> what they know. And yeah. I mean, it's, 
there's nothing wrong with it. I get it, no. right? But I don't yeah. think it's the right answer. You know, I yeah. generally disagree with that whole yeah. construct anyway. But the and then when you see your peers, oh, well, this they were doing something, they became successful. I need to do the same thing and I need a third master's degree. You know, and this is sort of like the path that people are on, and it's happening legitimately quite a lot, you know. Yeah. And so it is quite shocking sometimes that that the the lack of access to people who can give you an informed opinion about how you're supposed to, you know, yeah. well, maybe not how you're supposed to, but you know, um, some methods or some ideas about how you can progress in your career, you know. And I think it's really important to be able to talk to the right people to yeah. give you the right perspective on things in terms of how you make your decisions. Yeah, there are a lot of coaches and services of this specific kind for this specific of like life, you know, career, life path, mm-hmm. whatever. Like I remember I did a, a program that was great. It was called Leadership for Success with the OSCE. And we had the, I mean, it was such a, a lax, right? Like to get these amazing coaches that they specialize on this kind of people, you know, that work internationally, that have all the same challenges and that help a great deal. They're not cheap. But I think sometimes if you are at a growth road, I think it's it's great to use them, you know, like that mm-hmm. they're there for that. And they do have the right tools to make you, like to point you in the right direction. And they're not going to tell you what to do, but they're going to tell you, look, what you are going through, it's called this. And this is very common in, I don't know, first time leaders or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, like, and they're going to help you to figure it out with all these tools. Like, okay, this is actually what makes more sense to me right now. And I think, you know, yeah, it's what I say. They are not cheap, but I think they're great professionals and, and they, they are so used to, to work with people like us, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it just, you know, it, it comes back to the point of you got to find the right people to ask the right questions to Absolutely. in order to get the right advice. Uh, and I think there's a there's a piece of that too where we have to stop comparing ourselves with our peers in terms of their own yeah. progress because everybody is different in their career path. Absolutely, and we all need different things, right? Like in a different points yeah. of life. What I needed when I was 25 and I was starting this career is nothing to do with my current self, right? Like, and even if I share the same passion that that 25 year old me had, like my needs now are absolutely different and uh, yeah you have to also roll with that you know Mm -hmm. so yeah so so looking forward a bit in terms of you know where you're going now what is your perspective as sort of you know having a longer international career and then now you're looking forward at things how has your process changed much since when you first started because of course there's all that new pressure when you first get started but now you're sort of settled, settled in, you're branded, you have an identity, you, you kind of are more comfortable in that space, more seasoned as an international professional, but you know, then you're, you're looking forward. What is your mental process there when you think about that? I mean, there's always, I'm not going to lie. There's always like a bit of like fear of like what is coming next, right? Like, and how long it's going to take me to find the next job. And even I know by experience that it doesn't take any time to find, you know, new opportunities that they are out there and they do exist like it it does take a little bit of of you you know that that fear is always part of the conversation that that you have to do what i'm gonna do next i really don't know uh i am really interested on on what i'm doing right now i think like this line of work that for me is somewhat new not so much like working with 
refugees. I was used to work with like refugees from the wars in the Balkans, but now like current refugees, it's the first time that I do it. It's the first time that I work in a country which my mother tongue is the main, you know, like working language, which is also very different. Uh, I guess like for you, that you always have work in your own mother tongue, you know, like now I can feel that and I, how foreigners make the effort to speak my own language. It's amazing. And I, I found it incredible, you know, like people speaking Spanish is like coming from everywhere in the world. That's that's absolutely great. So I my strategy is like, I'm going to keep on doing this. And in the times that I'm not going to be, you know, with like a fixed term appointment within one agency of the UN, now it's UNHCR, but it could be any, I'm going to be doing consultancies because there are also like very long-term consultancies that you can really get a lot out of it. And I really like to, you know, like do a little bit of research and, and, and publications that normally when you are doing this kind of job, you don't have so much time to do. So I think it's a good combo to be like, you know, every few years, get one year, of like a, a permanent position and try to to get a little bit on the consultancy because there are loads of offers everywhere and I think after COVID is going to be even more so because we all have learned the, you know the virtues of like just doing things online and like outsourcing to other people that are out there and many many jobs so I love working on capacity building as well of of different teams and, and team developing so this is something that I almost looking into constantly you know like trying to balance a little bit of everything like working from the as a per, like fixed staff because it gives you benefits the, the other things don't mm. and that's, that's just about something that we also need to consider uh, pension for example is something that for international careers if you are not fixed a term of like depending on which organization is something you completely miss and that's something that it could have like horrible long-term consequences but I think you can always balance it out so like I like to do capacity building and team developing I like to do like research and publications and I like to, to mix these three kind of things and this is what I think I'm going to keep doing and then I hopefully one day I'm able to retire with a pension. <laughs> yeah, that the, the the pension piece and the finances of an international career could be an entire course by itself. Um, oh my god, yes! And people get on that soon enough. <laughs> yeah, my only recommendation: think about a pension when you're on your thirties, not on your fifth. Even earlier, if you can. Even right. earlier, if you can. Yeah. Um, do you feel entrepreneurial in your positions and in your career path? That's an interesting cost. I never thought about myself as an entrepreneur, but I guess we all are, right? Like we're we're making everything from scratch. We're making ourselves from scratch every time that we make a move. So yeah, I guess in a way we all are a bit of entrepreneurs. And there is a good thing about it. Obviously it's exciting, but it also, I think we sometimes romanticize it a bit. And this entrepreneur, it means that basically you are trying to balance your work life you know like balance or and sometimes we is like oh it's especially with women you know like oh it's amazing she became an entrepreneur what a great woman so like, well, maybe it was her only opportunity to be able to have kids and have a, a career right like that's that's why consultancy is also is a great option for me now that I have you know a child so you need to to be able to be real with yourself is like, can I now get a temporary appointment every six months in a different continent with UNHCR? I could, but what is going to mean for my family and for my child and for myself, you know? Like, so I think you need to, to 
try to compensate and balance things out and see what is best for you as a, as a whole package. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. Yeah, but I think there's an element there, right? And at least in my experience, uh, because what it takes for us to build out our own identity, to build our own international career, I would argue is not that much different than just being an entrepreneur and building out your own business, your own brand and your yes. own sort yeah. of relationships with clients and customers and everything else like that. I think it's really exercising the same skill sets yeah. But we don't necessarily really call it that, yeah. you know, I, but I think when you look at the conditions of it and you're taking sort of contract by contract by contract by contract, you're essentially, you know, proposing, getting accepted, you're working, you're doing these deliverables and then you're leaving and going to yeah. the next thing. And it's, I would argue it's, it's very close, if not exactly the same. But, yeah. I, but I think that's it. And it can be exhausting. Way. It's exhausting because you have to sell yourself one million times, you know, like, and being a consultant, oh my God, you have to do like 10 job interviews in a year to get each one of the consultants, right? Like, so I don't know, in 2020, I think I did like close to 10 job interviews and I got all of those consultancies, but it still is the same process that a person would maybe go once every 10 years, right? Like, um, and for us, is what you say, like this is skill set that you need to constantly put on to work and like trying to, yeah, brand yourself and sell yourself constantly. And if you yeah. work in projects, based organizations same and you need to be looking for the funding and you be you know like talking to everyone everywhere and again it's like it's a selling concept and i am selling you know my my context is like human rights and it sounds weird that i am trying i have to sell human rights it should be something that is already understood but it's not you need to convince people that what you were you know offering mm-hmm. is what it's needed in this specific moment in specific time so yeah it really depends as well in which organization you you work and if you're working in, in project-based organization it's even more so than in other organizations that they have your their core funding and, and it works in a different yeah. way and you need to adjust as well from one organization to the other it's not thinking that you have worked in one io and that's it you you seen one you know you have seen one and you have seen them all not, not at all like your mentality has to change the ethos from one organization to the other change drastically so you have to adjust to be able you know to to become part of of that new new team and a new operation so yeah i think again it's part of our flexibility you know like our mental flexibility Mm -hmm. has to happen 30 you know 365 days a year Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i think a lot of it is marketing yeah i think um you know the, the donors the stakeholders they're investors in terms yep. of a business terminology, right? And so yeah. they're investing for outcomes, even though yep. it's in you know sustainability or development or whatever the case is, they're still yep. investors. Yep. And you know, they want to return on that money, even though it may be tangible or intangible. And you have to have metrics, you have to have KPIs, you have to have all these sort of things to show where your money's going and, and everything else. And Never so for me, enough indicators. Exactly. And monitoring and evaluation and all these things like that. And so for me, it's it's very closely linked. And I think there's some good sort of cross-cutting skills there if, if we look at it in a similar way. But but I think we're just about out of time. And I sort of have one question for you. I like to close out the interviews with this. Cool. You know, if you were going to do this all over again, what would you do differently? I'll try to relax more. That's... <laughs> More vacation, <laughs> if I could you know go back, 
no, no, not necessarily relax and like everything is gonna be all right okay just like relax it's it's okay you don't need to overkill it every time to overdo it to you know like it's, it's great to work hard and I think I would do that over again but like trying to relax about it. things are gonna work out and you know you just need to work hard and the results are gonna be seen and that's that's enough but you know like uh yeah just not get so anxious about every single move in your life and every single person or everything yeah I will just try to to be a little bit more yeah relaxed but I think it's difficult when you're on your 20s you want to do it all and you want to do it now and you have all the challenges that you have to overcome and you have to see it all and then you want really to portray the best of yourself and yeah but I think it's it's very important to try to to keep the the mental health and the, as like just a healthy balance in your life. That's that's very important. Work is not all like you know like working internationally you change your whole life. That's true. But is work is is work, and even if you're very passionate about it, you have half a whole life outside work. You know, like starts at five p.m. and and you need to also invest on that. So I think if I could go back to my twenties, I I would try to to be a little bit more relaxed. I doubt I would be able to, but anyway, <laughs> still learning. <laughs> well, that's why you're here today, right? Because <laughs> yeah. of that work ethic. So, well, I tell you, thank you so much for joining us today. It was very insightful and interesting conversation, and I'm sure we could talk for a couple more hours, but we'll just keep it uh, cut it off at an hour. Um, but yeah, again, thank you so much, and I wish you the best of luck in in Mexico and and with the work that you're doing, the great work you're doing. And um, yeah, thanks for joining us. No, thank you, Kyle. It has been a privilege to be here today with you and have this super honest and open, you know, chat with you. I hope we we can reach some people out there and help them out. 